Well, good morning, Grace Church. Good to see you all this morning. Hope you're doing well. I'd invite you to take your Bibles and turn to the eighth chapter of the book of Romans. If you have a pew Bible, I believe it's on 944. Our sermon text today is verses 26 through 30, but it's hard to figure out what should be the starting point to kind of ramp into the passage. So I've I've decided we're going to start in verse 14. So we're going to read through from verses 14 of chapter 8 through verse 30 of chapter 8. Hopefully you're there. Hear the word of the Lord. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows What is the mind of the Spirit? Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So reads the words of God. Let's pray together. 
Holy Father, there are some enormous truths you have revealed to your children. And I pray, Father, that you would be at work by your Spirit for your glory and for the good of your people, teaching us and revealing yourself further so we could behold your greatness. We could take comfort in you. We can desire to align our lives more in tune with the worship of you, for you alone are worthy. So Lord, we're just asking that you'd meet with your people in a very particular way. And Lord, for those who come in this morning who don't know Christ, who love other things, themselves, and the world more than you, Father, I pray that you would turn those priorities and those loves upside down and they would love you and trust Christ and follow Christ all the days of their lives. So Father, be at work this morning, we pray in Christ's name, amen. So last week we started with an illustration about a buffet. Seemed like it resonated with a lot of people here. Hallelujah to that. And, and the goal in doing that was not to point out how gluttonous I am because that's pretty self-evident. The, the point of it was is that God's word is much like a buffet. Romans is very much like a buffet. Romans chapter 8 is like the grand buffet where there's just all these dishes and you can make a meal out of each one. These five verses I'm preaching today, you literally, and I'm not exaggerating, you could take three sermons for each verse and still not exhaust everything that's there. So that was the image of buffet. A lot of really good dishes, and we're just eating from some of them, or from all of them to some degree. Today, my opening image is that of a springboard, and this is born less from the text and more from engagement with the text. Uh, one of the things that just boggles my mind is watching gymnasts, because God did not create me bodily to be a gymnast. Another self-evident truth. And I love when these gymnasts stand at this long runway and they go screaming towards this, this, this vault, and they hit a springboard. And then they're doing all sorts of twisty, kooky things in the air, and then they land, and people are applauding, and then the Russian judge gives them like a 1.5, and people are booing. Gymnasts use springboards to propel them into greater things, greater heights, greater lengths. This past week, this preacher's heart was warmed because several people reached out to me and, and shared with me in, in some pretty wonderful, glorious detail how verses 18 through 25, again, I think my, I told Todd, I think my sermon last week was 40 minutes. And what was Todd's response? Were you feeling okay? That was a perfect response. But in 40 minutes covering those verses, it the Spirit will do what he will do, but several folks just reached out to me to share how our study last week was a springboard, a springboard into deeper and greater things, deeper scriptural connections, deeper realizations, deeper worship of the Lord 
So I want to encourage you today as we come to these five verses, and without preaching until, you know, whatever time, two, three o'clock in the afternoon, I want to encourage you to use this time as a springboard because we're just scratching the surface. So take this passage we're preaching today, which is loaded with glory, loaded with beauty, loaded with some awe-inspiring truths, and use it as a springboard for deeper study this week and enter into the fullness of what God intends. Last week, we spoke about how suffering is inevitable. It's inevitable. It is inevitable for those who are in Christ. We, we did talk about common suffering, which the world, living in a fallen creation, experiences. Everybody experiences sickness, disease, financial issues, family trouble, believer and unbeliever alike. That's suffering that is common to the fallen creation. But there's a different type of suffering And that is what we call particular suffering. And that is suffering that we encounter on behalf and for the sake of Christ. Being light in a world that is dark. Suffering, and I I think primarily talking about that, that type of suffering, that particular suffering here, though it doesn't exclude common suffering. Suffering is the umbrella under which the last half of Romans 8 is written. Suffering is the pathway to glory. Following the very same path as the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He suffered on the way to glory. He suffered on the way to his inheritance And for us, on our way to our inheritance as co-heirs, the inheritance that Jesus Christ has secured for us by his life, death, and resurrection, we too will suffer. And what Paul wants the church in Rome to know, and I'm certain he'd want the church in today's world, in Romeoville, Illinois, to know, is that whatever they experience by way of suffering is not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed. Never in my life have I felt so inadequate as a preacher as when I'm trying to convey that truth that's so big to get your arms around. Suffering's hard, but what's coming is so great. Because we have no real point of reference for what that is. We just have to take God at his word. And Paul says that Christ is going to come in, in, there's going to be a remaking of the creation. A creation that longs, it groans for its redemption too. And Paul says, in this hope, you were saved. It's hard now, but look it. Someday this is all going away. It's going to be remade and it's going to be perfectly beautiful as you enter into the fullness of your adoption. That's something we have a hard time getting our arms around. 
Or maybe it's a hard thing to focus on when the suffering we're experiencing right now is so intense. But we must fight to get to that truth and allow the Spirit to encourage us and, and have the Spirit grant us this hopeful patience as we wait that Paul speaks of in verse 25. Then we get to verses 26 through 30, our text for today. And my, my prayer is that we would recognize one thing, and, and forgive me, I, I, I wanted to put this on a slide, and I didn't, but this is, this is what I want us to get. I'm going to read it twice, because it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a sentence with several commas, I confess. That, I think, I think Paul, by the Spirit, will want us to know this, that God, God, in all three persons, God, is right here with us, helping us as we walk this path of purposeful suffering on our way to glory. A glory that he will bring to full fruition. Second time faster without the dramatic pauses. That God is right here with us helping us as we walk this path of purposeful suffering on the way to glory, a glory that he will, he will bring to full fruition. God is present. God is helping. God is working all things for good according to his sovereign power. God is working and helping according to his perfect will we can trust him. No matter how much the suffering is, we can rest in him. God is right here with us as we walk this path of purposeful suffering on the way to glory, a glory that will bring, be brought to full fruition. So the first thing Paul points out in our passage today is this truth. God the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. Chew on that for a second. Don't just lose that. God, the Holy Spirit, helps us in our weakness. Now, in this context, we have to see it in light of suffering, but if we were to read John 14, John 15, John 16, we, we see a more broad expression of the Spirit's ministry. It's much more than this. But in light of the fact that suffering is part of the call to follow Christ... After Paul comforts the hearers with these words, yeah, what you're suffering right now, it's not worthy to be compared to what's coming. After he comforts them with that, he comforts them with a second great comfort that the Spirit of God helps God's children as they walk the path of following Christ. Verse 26, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. One thing we know, brothers and sisters, and, and if we're honest, we would easily admit this, we need help. We need help as we walk this path. This is hard. We need help as we walk on our pilgrimage 
towards entering the fullness of our salvation, the fullness of glory. We are weakened by suffering. We are weakened as we groan. We groan because we're weak. And the same Spirit, the Spirit of God, who bears witness that we are children of God, verse 16, is the same Spirit who also helps us in our weaknesses. The weaknesses brought about by suffering. This should be incredibly encouraging. I think sometimes when we are suffering, we feel like we're all alone. That nobody understands that I'm walking this path by myself. And Paul wants to encourage the readers that no, that is just not true. God is present. The Spirit is helping. Not just present and observing. He's helping. He helps us, Paul says here, by interceding for us. Stepping in on our behalf. Some would say he's praying for us. Why does he intercede for us? Why does he help us? Why does his help take this form? Interceding for us, stepping in for us. Because Paul says we don't know what to pray for as we ought. I don't think Paul spoke in that garbly English language, but... We don't know how to pray for or what to pray for as we ought. In our weakness, in our suffering states, in our suffering world, sometimes we just don't know what to pray. You ever been there? The the storm just keeps blowing. The tempest will not let up. I, I don't even know what to pray. Paul says the Spirit helps you in your weakness. He intercedes for you. He helps you. Sometimes we're just praying for all the wrong things. We aren't praying ultimately for things that are in accordance with the perfect will of God. But don't worry. Don't worry, brothers and sisters. Paul would be saying, God's got this. He helps us. That is part of of the glorious salvation that Christ has brought. Not just glory at the end of this earthly road, but help as we walk this road. And how does he intercede for us? It's fascinating the words Paul uses. He says that the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. That one word sound familiar to you? So we talked about it last week, the word groanings. The creation groans. We groan. And likewise, the spirit groans. As a way of expression that is just too deep for words. Now we know this. We know that the spirit's groaning can't be just like ours. Because he's God. And much of our groaning is born of weakness, of born of frustration, things that are not present in a perfect and holy God. 
But yet it says he intercedes for us with groanings. Is it a groaning that is actually from us as the Spirit stirs in us as some commentators are wont to say? It's actually us stirred by the Spirit? Or is this a way of God communicating his great compassion and understanding? The God who sympathizes with his creation, with his children, and therefore groans as he intercedes as some form of identification with those that have been adopted into his family. In some ways, it's probably both. But what I want to take hold of here is the fact that the Spirit himself helps us. He intercedes. He prays for us deeply in ways that we can't because of our weakness. He's there, present helping us in praying. We are never, ever alone as we walk this path. Is that a comfort to you? I got my eyes closed right now, and all that I'm thinking in my head is, God, make that a comfort to us. Make that a comfort to us. Never let us believe things that are not true. Like, I'm all alone in this. God doesn't care. He isn't present. Then Paul, in verse 27, explains this awesome, mysterious communion going on between Father, he who searches the hearts, it's, I believe, a reference to the Father, and God the Spirit. Verse 27, and he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Boy, The Father knows the mind of the Spirit. Well, of course he does. They are one God. And the Spirit is communicating in that oneness and interceding for us according to the will. There's this communion between Father and Holy Spirit. And the Spirit helps us by praying for us, perfecting our prayers according to the will of God. Back to our main idea, back to our main idea. God is right here with us, helping us as we walk this path of suffering on the way to glory. I noted all three persons because if you look down to verse 34, look at verse 34, we see that Christ Jesus is also interceding for us as we walk this path. The Spirit, the present intercessor with us, helping us, and Christ, the intercessor in heaven, at the Father's right hand. The Father hears our prayers, and they are perfected according to His will by a groaning, interceding Spirit. So we never have to feel inadequate if we can't even spit out words or the right words, or we misspeak theologically. God's got us covered because he has purposed out of the goodness and kindness of grace for his children to help us. And then they are received at his right hand by our compassionate high priest, Jesus Christ, 
who also intercedes for us. God, all three persons, is right here with us, helping us. This is our God. This is the one that we get up early and we brush our teeth to get into this room to worship him. Because he is worthy of that worship. Because what he has done, what he is doing, and what he will do, he is worthy of our worship. Rescuing and helping and interceding and perfecting and someday glorifying. So we take comfort in the fact that the Spirit helps us as we walk this path of suffering on the road to glorification. And Paul brings up a second, a second comfort in this passage. One of the most well-known verses of Scripture, verse 28. Most of you could probably recite this verse from memory. A lot of you, a lot of us, be all of us at some point, have clung to this verse in the withering winds of the storm. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. So connecting 27 and 28, because we could easily just rip 28 out and let it just kind of float out there like it's a, you know, like it's a sign being pulled behind a plane in the sky. And we want to make sure it stays connected to the passage. What is the will of God Verse 27, verse 28 tells us in this context, it is the good of those who love him. And that good is for those who God has purposed to call. One commentator says this, in the midst of the uncertainty, even the crises caused by suffering and by inadequate communication, meaning prayer life, Paul assures his reader that God can be trusted and that God wills and works for the good of the members of his family. Do we believe that? I believe. But what? Help my unbelief. Members of God's family, those for whom God in a show of his sovereign power over all circumstances, makes all things work together for the good of his children. Members of God's family, those who are described here as those who love God and those who are the called according to his purpose. In Romans 8, 28, both Words work, he, in all things work, work together. The words work and love, for those who love God, both words work and love are in a present tense. Meaning God is always working for those who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit and are always loving God. It's a constant thing. Those who love God continually are those who have, who have entrusted, who have, pardon me, 
are those who have entered God's redeeming love by faith in Christ. Who have entered into God's redeeming love in Christ by faith. Those who have done that are those who have been called according to God's purposes, according to God's plan. This speaks of God's purposeful, electing love, which issues into a call into the kingdom, what is known by theologians as the effectual call. It is a call that does something. Because when God calls in this way, he never fails. And those who have been called in this way, called into eternal life in Christ, called into the glory that awaits those in Christ, called into the suffering that shows that we are co-heirs with Christ, For those who have been called into this, we can rest assured, brothers and sisters, that God helps them through the interceding of his spirit. God helps them by causing all things to work together for their good. Great question to ask right here. I'm glad you asked it. What is meant by good? You know what I think is good? Corvette. No, I don't see it yet. Convertible. Not yet. So we we know that we we can we can we can deceive ourselves into understanding what is good. I think the passage itself tells us what the good is. What the good is. And if we could understand that, it'll help us make sense of how even the hardest things we experience are actually good. We have to trust God in this. What is the good spoken of here? I think in the context, it is what we are predestined to, according to verse 29, to be conformed into the image of his Son. All things work together for the good of those who love God. All things work together for our conformity into the image of the Son. Jesus Christ is the greatest, supreme, preeminent. Does anybody disagree with that? I have my eyes closed, so I can't see it. It's okay. Deacons, can you escort the people who trouble with that? If that's true, if that's true, there's nothing or no body greater than Christ. The best thing for us is to be like him. It's the best thing for us. There's nothing greater than being like the greatest, Jesus Christ. That's God's purpose, to make those he calls into the image of his son, so that at the consummation of all things, Christ would be the firstborn among many brothers or brethren as we enter into the fullness of our adoption. 
Now let's, this is the buffet, kids. We could sit here at this one dish and, and literally eat of it until they kick us out and take our picture and post it up there to not allow us back in. Not that I've had that happen. But there's so much. There's so many dishes in this passage. He says in verse 28, pardon me, 29, those whom he foreknows. And if we, 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 don't, we don't rip Scripture apart of one another, we don't do that. At the end of verse 28, it talks about a purpose. So this foreknowing is a purposeful, purposeful, intimate, loving knowing. It's not God looking down. You've heard this a bunch of times if you start. It's not God looking down the hallway and seeing who would believe first. That would put us in a very tricky position of having God learning. But then secondly, it leaves man ultimately as the sovereign by his response. God foreknows, and it's purposeful, this knowledge. And this knowledge is not only purposeful, to link it to 28, it's also intimate, it's also loving. It's a purposeful, intimate, loving knowing. Before he created dirt. There's my Steve Leston thing. I love when he says that. Before God created dirt, he foreknew you. So those whom he foreknows, he predestines to be like the sun. And he calls them. Go to, go to a, you can go to 1 Corinthians 1, I think it's 23 to 26, to get a little fullness about general call, but then the call. The call. And in that call, there's a gifting of faith. And it is by that faith that we are then justified, which we've spent so much time talking about in our series in Romans, rightfully so. The faith by which we are justified and that justification gives way into glorification. It isn't, and, and it's interesting because some people say, well, it says glorified. Why, is, why if it's yet, why if it's yet, why is it spoken of in the past tense along with all these other things? Well, here's a couple reasons. Number one, God has settled it before he created dirt. So in some ways it's finished. But then also I think it's to point out just the absolute surety of it happening. If God has said it, even though it hasn't, we haven't entered into it fully, it's done. You can't undo what God has purposed to do. It's just not how the universe works. So take note of this glorious comfort found here. So here's our comfort moment, right? This is where it'd be cool if I had like some props, like a comfy couch, and I would retire to the comfy couch and say, let's take comfort for a moment. Maybe a smoking jacket and a pipe. Take comfort in this. Take comfort in this. That every trial, every moment of our walk here on earth is purposeful. It is purposeful. When we spend time teaching through the Beatitudes, we, we spent a while trying to unpack this word, and it is the word blessed. Blessed. 
And in the context of Psalm 1, and in the context of Matthew 5, I, I don't think what is intended there is just a recipient of blessing. A recipient of blessing. I think that's part of it, but I think more of it is this, this state in which we exist, in which there is there's happiness. Some, some translations, like I remember the, the first rendition of the uh, Holman translated that word happy. Happy are the... I think there's joy. I think there's peace. I think there's satisfaction. And in that, and I'm trying to remember what else I put in my definition that I held for the class, but in that was a sense of purpose and meaning. If we don't have a sense of purpose and meaning in our lives, especially when we suffer, things can go way off the rails and rolling down the hill. And one thing we can take comfort in, brothers and sisters, is the fact that every trial, every suffering, every moment on this walk is purposeful, as it's purposed by a God who loves us, and it's meaningful. Because it's for the sake and glory of Christ. Because it is used by God to make us more like Christ. Which is the greatest thing. Which is the best thing for us. To make us siblings of Christ who look like Christ. And we know that this purpose has roots. This purpose has roots before the foundation of the world and is all of God who will bring this to completion. He who began a good work in you will finish it in your mind. He will finish it. He will bring it to fruition. He will bring it to completion. In the midst of suffering, we can comfort ourselves that God will never leave us or forsake us. I think that's where we're starting to make the turn to in 31 through the finish of the chapter. He will bring this to completion. Is the path to glory full of suffering? We would have to answer yes. Christ suffered. Make note of this and you could spend some time here later, but Hebrews 5 tells us, 5, 8, 9, although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. There was a sense in which Christ was perfected or completed in his obedience through suffering. Christ's followers will follow the same path. We will be perfected in obedience through suffering. But, oh, I love but. I don't like the modern day, however, and I like that one. I like but. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't suffer without purpose. It's meant to conform us into the image of Christ. We don't suffer without hope because God will keep us in it. He will keep us through it all the way to the end, glorification. 
We have to believe that, brothers and sisters. The longer I'm a student of the word, I, I got to think of a better illustration so you guys leave my guinea pigs, but I'm thinking like a, I'm thinking of these tributaries, right? They're these smaller strands of water that dump into this big pool of water. Matt, if this doesn't make any sense, just access from the stream, bro, okay? But so, yeah, he's waxing philosophic again. Here he goes. But really, everything that we study about God dumps into the big pool, the big pool. And that big pool is God's nature. It's God's character. We believe these things that I just said, right? That he's, 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 he's with us, he helps us, and, and, and everything's working together for this purpose, this good to be more like Jesus Christ, to the praise of his glory. Um, he's going to finish this. He's got us. Those are beautiful, true tributaries. But, but why, why can we believe those things even though we have a hard time sensing them? Or we have a hard time even conceptualizing what the eternal state's going to look like? Well, we, we dump into the, the big body of water, which is who God is. God has said it. So it's absolutely true. He is faithful. He is good. He is kind. He is just. He is merciful. He is gracious. I could go on and on and on. It is the person of God who is the anchor of the promises he makes. And we can trust him. This is our God. This is our God. Behold the greatness of our God. Behold the greatness of the love of God for his children. Shown in a suffering, crucified, resurrected Christ. In an interceding, indwelling Holy Spirit. Behold our God. Oh, there's the goosebumps. Yeah. God in all three persons is right here with us, helping us as we walk this path of suffering on the way to glory, a glory that he will bring to full fruition because he said he will, and he is God. All right, let's, uh, let's land the plane Let's land the plane. Three things I just want us to have in mind. Three things before us. Number one, remember. 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 Remember the comfort that God has provided for us in suffering. A spirit who helps us never leaves us. Even when it's, it's like God, I've, I've prayed so much for this that, and, and I, don't, I, I, don't even, I don't even know what to pray. Rest assured that the Spirit is interceding for you. Find comfort in that. Find comfort in the fact and remember the fact that what's coming is glorious and God will bring it to completion. This isn't forever. It feels like forever when you're in it. But there's something far greater coming. Remember that every moment of your life has purpose and meaning. There's no meaninglessness in God's kingdom. None. Remember. Number two. 
Sometimes this is where I invite people to put their steel-toed boots on. Number two, be bold. Be bold in our willingness to suffer for the sake of Christ. The suffering that is the common suffering is still part of God's purpose to make you more like Christ. It is. And it's not to minimize that. But we also know that it is, there is a suffering that comes when you, out of love for Christ, love for his glory, love for his kingdom, you are willing to accurately represent him in a world that doesn't desire him, in a world that is outwardly hostile towards him. I think sometimes, 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 oh yeah, when I say things three times, that means I'm trying to think, should I really say this? Sometimes in our American culture, we shift all of the expressions of suffering to the common suffering because we're afraid of the cost of the particular suffering. And that's part, that's part of the goal of the culture is to make us so comfortable that we don't want to give certain things up. We don't want to absorb the cost that comes from taking a stand and being faithful. Following Jesus is getting costly. One of the ways that we show the immense value and worth that one of the ways that we sell everything we have to buy the field in front of the world is by our willingness to forsake all things for him, if that's what God calls us to do. By our willingness to suffer for his name and for his sake. So remember the glory and the purpose and the help in suffering, but then be bold. Every time you deny yourself for the sake and glory of Christ, you're storing up treasures for yourself in heaven, which has to be connected to the enjoyment of Jesus. I, I, can't, I can't see off, us off in our little corner playing with our treasures. I just can't see that. I want to use this to maximize that. Last one. Come. What was, the, what was the first of our three words from the Gospel of John about Nazareth? Come. 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 Undoubtedly, there are some in this room right now who have not entered into this warm, caring, purposeful relationship with God. And I'm just praying right now for the Spirit of God to do His work in revealing that. That relationship is entered into through the Son. He's done it all. In light of what Christ has done, if one doubles down on their sin, if one doubles down on their sin and their rebellion, if they double down on their sin by rejecting the way God has made back to him through Jesus Christ, rejecting the Christ 
who will forgive your sins. Rejecting the Christ who can get you reconciled back to God. Rejecting the Christ who will get you adopted by the Spirit into the family of God. Rejected. Rejecting the Christ who assures you that God will walk right beside you during this hard path. If you reject the gracious offer of forgiveness, of salvation found in Christ, there is no hope for you. There is no other way. Rather than this mean old hard world ending in unending pleasures with God, your lot is an eternal horrific punishment of hell. Which is horrifying as the consequence for your rebellion, your sin against God, if you enter into his presence unforgiven, without an atonement made by Christ. So my call is to come. Turn from your sin that will send you to hell and come to Christ. Throw yourself upon him by faith. And enter into the beauty of God's salvation. The eternal life prepared for you. That he has prepared for all who will come to the Son. Let's pray. Lord, I'm just so grateful for Christ. I am so grateful for the promises secured for us in Christ. I'm thankful for the suffering that makes us more like Christ. I'm thankful for the Spirit always helping, always interceding for those of us who are following and suffering for Christ. I'm thankful for the fact that after this, this vapor of a life goes away, one confessively, Father, that I, I cling way too tenaciously to, when this vapor of this life goes away, there is something that is unspeakably great waiting for us that Christ has gone forth to prepare for us. I'm thankful, Father, that this is going to happen because you said it will. We believe you. You are worthy of our faith. You are worthy of our belief because you are God. You are faithful. You never go back on your promises. So, Father, I pray that all of us collectively as one body right now would just fully entrust ourselves to you. Maybe it's savingly for the very first time through Christ right now, right now. And, Father, I'm praying for your spirit to do that And for those of us in Christ, Father, that we would suffer well on our way to glory. And we pray these things in Christ's name.